Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg. This is episode 139. And we got some stuff to talk about today, let me tell you. We got two stories. We're going to be talking about the publisher Nicalis. It's an indie game publisher uh, known for bringing some obscure games to console. You know, you see that logo, you're like, cool, man. These are some great indie games coming to physical copies. It's a positive thing. Pretty great. Except that this story is not so great because apparently their owner is uh, makes terrible jokes and uh, says awful things uh, and also uh, treats developers and uh, and and uh, his staff terribly. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. You know, we like to talk about the workplace stories. We're going to dig into that a little bit. Um, and then we're going to talk about, and I can't believe it, I'm going back to it, but this is a pretty big update. I've got some Billy Mitchell stuff to talk about. Billy Mitchell is suing, I know, a shocker, Billy Mitchell is suing Twin Galaxies and Guinness World Records to have his records reinstated. So we're going to talk about that. I've got my Game of the Week picked out. I have a massive pickup pile of the week because if you follow me on Twitter, you saw yesterday we had this incredible RPG lot come in. <laughs> so... I another just ridiculous week of pickups. I got to be getting close to being done with my collection, right? You think, right? No, yes, no, probably not. And uh, and then so I've got my listener question. We've got a listener question, which is pretty good. Uh, I I, I want to. I'm excited to answer that question. Uh, but before we all get started, I have to talk a little bit about that RPG collection that came in yesterday. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know of a gentleman from Minnesota named, uh, I don't know if I've ever dropped his name before, but his name's Chet. And he was the one who brought the collection that I had to refuse. And it was a minivan full. He drove four and a half hours to come to my store to sell it. A minivan full of what can only be described as junk <laughs> and the most unsellable crap I've ever seen. Which was super disappointing because, uh, obviously, I only make money if I buy things from people and then resell them for more. So it is in my best interest to purchase these items from someone. But when you look at it and they're completely unsellable, I'm talking every case was broken with Sunfade, every game was scratched, Every game was sports or generic. It was awful. And this was the guy, if you if you, uh, if you you had heard before, you know this. If you haven't, this was also the guy that bought it from someone in Alabama, I think it was. And he drove out there, a big Confederate flag guy comes out holding his, his handgun on it. He had his uh, firearm on his side and basically um, had a Nazi flag. <laughs> and so the guy who was going to not buy it was like, I'm kind of intimidated. I should just give this guy money and leave or I'll get killed. <laughs> um, but uh, so that was kind of the story with Chet. But then Chet redeemed himself. And Chet's a nice guy, of course. Um, he, he, he and I actually become friends. We were joking around about the Packers-Vikings game. And I almost bet him money that uh, the Packers would win. And I damn well should have. Uh, but basically, uh, he came back a few months ago with a pretty good collection. Actually, we, it was a nice big lot. We were happy with it. Uh, it was a good, good bunch of stuff. You know, it was basic stuff, but it was good stuff. All five to fifteen dollar Xbox and three sixty and PS three games. Like it was good stuff. You know, it was it was really great. So it was nice. And then he calls me up on Saturday and says, "Hey man, I got I got a I got another trade. Would you be interested? It's worth eight thousand bucks." I'm like, okay, well, let's get talking, Chief. Let's t tell me what you got. And he sends over the list, and my God, it is every PS1. It is 154 PS1 and PS2 RPGs, 75% which are factory sealed. <laughs> okay, uh, now you've got my attention, my friend. So then basically we came to a deal. He drove up yesterday, bought the lot from him, and... Uh, yeah, and now we now we got some stuff to go through. So that was an incredible story, but it was funny how it's Chet has now gone from being my worst nightmare of bringing trades to my absolute dream scenario of bringing trades. You went from Alabama man's <laughs> Nazi flavored video games <laughs> to <laughs> to RPG heaven on the PS1 and PS2. <laughs> so it was pretty good, man. It was pretty good. <clears throat> 
Um, but yeah, so anyway, I'll quit hammer now. We got our little intro taken care of. We got a lot of stuff to take care of today, so we're going to kick it off with the Nikala story. Stick with us. You know, I better, <clears throat> better uh, clean off the old pipes, you know, get a sip of water here. Because once I start the video, I can't take a sip of water. It's unprofessional. <clears throat> On video, it's unprofessional. <coughs> all right, all right, here we go. So first up on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about Nykalis. You know, that cute little publishing company does a lot of great indies. You see the little logo. You're like, oh, cool, cave story, right? Yeah, some great games, right? Well, that's still true, but apparently the leadership of that company is pretty terrible. And so Jason Schreier had an article on Kotaku, which, you know, sometimes I, I'm not a big fan of Jason Schreier's reporting. Sometimes I like what he's doing in the industry, bringing awareness to problems. And other times, I think he's just taking some disgruntled employees at their word. And so, uh, you know, so when I read this article, there are so many instances of the proof that comes to this happening. This is pretty incredible. And so we're going to get right into it. So the headline, Jason Schreier again on Kotaku, the headline, Inside the Ghosting, Racism, and Exploitation at Game Publisher Nykalis. At E3 in June 2015, Game designer David Crooks was hanging out across the street from the convention center when he met a man named Tyrone Rodriguez. Crooks needed support for the console versions of his quirky top-down dungeon crawler, Enter the Gungeon, which is a very good game, by the way. And Rodriguez's company, Icalis, seemed willing to help out. In the parking lot where Devolver, Enter the Gungeon's publisher, set up tents and beer kegs every year, Crooks and Rodriguez started talking about how they might work together. So this is interesting because Enter the Gungeon was already being published by Devolver. Um, and so Nykalis, uh, what they often do is they often help with ports too. So you might say, I made this game for PC, but I don't have the resources to put it on PS4. You can port it to PS4. Here's the source code, make it work, make it awesome. And cut me a check. That's, you know, that's what happens. Actually, a lot of big studios do that too, but it makes sense for little indies to do it as well. Um, so they go on to say, basically, uh, there was some light correspondence about helping them to get it to compile. Then we never heard anything else back regarding the arrangement. I believe that Devolver prodded them a couple times, but we never heard anything back. Due to the lack of communication, we were forced to move on and found another partner to help us with the port. So that's part of the ghosting claim is just that David Crooks said there's just no communication. Now, ghosting is typically a purposeful act. Um, and oftentimes, like I talk about in my business, you know, it's in my best interest to buy people's used games. Sometimes customers get upset at me if I don't take their games, um, but I can't take them if I don't think I can sell them. Now, in this case, it's not really ghosting if perhaps they were too busy to handle it. And it goes down, and not that that's not a problem. And if you're in business, you shouldn't be talking about making deals that you can't make. It's unprofessional. It makes you look bad. Um, but it is certainly possible that... They, they didn't see the deal being a positive on their end. And not that that was a smart move, because Enter the Gungeon's quite good, actually, and it will do really well, but, uh, you know, it is certainly possible. Um, so then Crooks, Rodriguez, and Devolver Marketing boss struck a deal. Nikalis would handle the PlayStation 4 port of Enter the Gungeon when it came out the following year. Crooks and his team had Nikalis sign a non-disclosure agreement and gave them access to their source code, and then that's when they ghosted them. And so, again, is it ghosting, or is it more maybe they had too much on their plate? Like, we don't know that, you know? But it's not a good thing either way. It makes your company look terrible. Like, either you're incompetent or you're arrogant, and it's kind of not anyone that's any better than the other. Um, however, they go on to say, ghosting stories like this are common when it comes to Nykalis, a game developer and publisher that has grown big in the independent scene, scene thanks to smash hits like Cave Story and Binding of Isaac, but has also cultivated a reputation for mistreating employees and outside developers. Nykalis, based in Orange County, California, employs a staff of around 20 people and handles a number of ports, re-releases, and original games, usually developed with external partners. In recent years, fans have noticed some public scuffles between Nykalis and game developers, but the extent of Nykalis' uh, troubled history has not yet been revealed. <clears throat> then Kotaku, Jason Schreier, goes on to say, For this story, Kotaku spoke to four external developers who worked with Nykalis and seven former Nykalis employees, most of whom requested anonymity because they were afraid the company would retaliate against them. Some of those employees left the company out of frustration. Others were let go. So they are all ex-employees. Some left on their own accord and some did not. Some shared anecdotes about the company ignoring them for months on end. 
all described Nikalis's founder and president Tyrone Rodriguez as a friendly but often difficult boss, prone to behavior that some called controlling and exploitive. Multiple former Nikalis employees said Rodriguez pressured them to drink heavily, made racist jokes in the workplace, and would oscillate between berating them and ignoring them. A few shared Skype logs of Rodriguez using racial and ableist slurs, racist jokes, and anti-Semitic comments during work conversations. And there are some of those down there, which we will get to. Hey, you know what? Let's just hit them right now. Let's let's get to the good stuff. So down here, here are some of the examples. Uh, Tyrone Rodriguez, we'll exchange at the airport. Matt was getting Jewed by his bank today. Ugh. That is just ridiculous. That's like... I don't even, that's like, that's like 30, 40 years ago, like jokes, jokes that aren't really even jokes. And unfortunately it is a common thing said by a lot of people. Still, I have had people come to my store and say, don't Jew me on the price. I'm going to be honest. Like there aren't a whole lot of Jewish people in my state. So like how that even came up here, you know, I don't know what the cultural connection is there, like where that where that grew and how that's still a thing that people say, but it's just unbelievably obnoxious. And it reminds me of someone who came in just yesterday and told me that, uh, he called his, uh, his landlord called him a retard. So he called him a queer. And I was like, what is this? Like, what is, what are you guys like five? I, I don't know. You racist, sexist, homophobic, and five all at the same time. My goodness. Oh, anyway, um, it goes on. Tyrone, it's their marketing group. They had a recent shift in people, so the new people are kind of retards. I, that doesn't even... Oh, that's frustrating. You know, like just this 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 usage. And again, a lot of people have this in their vocabulary. And it takes time to remove words from your vocabulary. You know, I'm pretty like understanding of that as long as someone's trying. This is also in a work environment for crying out loud. This, you know, I don't understand people who can't separate that, right? And have like this professional work side. And then if you want to be that way in a non-professional setting, you know, I guess you're fine. But, you know, it's just weird to me that, that someone who owns a company this big and has this much influence, like, doesn't understand that, you know, very strange. Uh, next, n- next example. Did you know we made an official date on the behest of a retailer? This Jew is responsible because he got paid off by the Jew corrupt asshole. It's just it's just terrible. And then apparently he links a Wikipedia article to Fred Lazarus. I don't even know who that is. Um, then this other conversation we have heard. Have we heard anything from Sony and or Nintendo regarding packs as far as if our build is a yes or no? Sony, yes. Nintendo seems no. And which is what I expected, to which the person replied, why doesn't Nintendo want it? To which Tyrone Rodriguez, the again, the head of Nikalis, says, because they're gay. That's not even, like, that's not even funny. That's, and, and I know he's doing it to be funny, but that's not even funny. And that's not even a, like, like that's just, that, that's seriously, that's 30 years ago middle school type of humor. You know, I, I don't even... I don't even know, like, if this guy's trapped in that sort of mentality, apparently. Um, and then uh, this one, uh, probably the, these last two are the most egregious, so so I apologize. But uh, uh, Tyrone says, that's a lot. It's usually under four, but Obama is effing everything up. And then he calls him a lazy porch monkey, which is unbelievably racist and horrible. Uh, and then he goes on to say another comment that says, ah, so you have to go two times add black bars. That's ironic. Usually the blacks are behind the bars. Like this stuff is un- unbelievable. Like this is gross, man. I'm going to be honest. This is really pisses me off. And uh, and so and this is the proof right here. These are Skype logs, man. I mean, if, if you got to be a special kind of stupid <laughs> uh, to think that this is OK, and then to think that stuff like this won't get out, especially if you're known for being kind of an asshole and that your employees, you know, why would they hide this when you treat them like garbage too? So that's uh, as we covered the racist, uh, anti-Semitic, terrible slurs, uh, the horribleness that he said proven in the logs. Um, Nikalis did respond to the interview request by Kotaku, and here was their response. Developing and publishing games is a dream for the staff of nearly 20 that work at Nikalis. 
Some of our team have been with the company almost a decade and we work hard to create an environment where we treat our team members with respect. They are what make the company. We do not condone abusive workplace environments or discrimination and have people from all walks of life. We hope for the continued success of our internal team and our external developers. Regarding the companies under mutual NDA with Nicalis, Devolver, and the Game Bakers, we can only comment that we do not have any signed publishing agreements with them and never have. Um, so then they reached out to Edmund McMullen, the creator of Binding of Isaac, who had basically said that uh, he had been, he's been working with Nicalis since 2012, said, quote, Rodriguez was never my boss. He's always just been a publisher of my work. And I'm pretty sure that Edmund McMullen works on all of his own ports too. I could be wrong there, but I thought that he did all the work himself, which would explain why they didn't have any cows do any work for them except just publish it. Um, so he has said, quote, I won't be moving forward with Nycalis when it comes to the port of the Legend of Bumbo or any console versions of Mugenics, he said in an email. Quote, Binding of Isaac Repentance will still be releasing as originally planned because the team poured their heart and soul into this DLC and it's very close to releasing, which I understand. The last minute either not releasing it or trying to, you know, just, just finish that deal out and then make a pact not to make a deal with them again, I think that is fair. I do think that's fair. Um... Over the course of reporting the story, some game developers who have worked on that cows told Kotaku they were terrified to speak out because of Rodriguez's power in the indie game scene. Although Nycalis is not a household name, some of the games it publishes are, like Cave Story, the snappy platformer that Nycalis brought to Steam, and Bising of Isaac, an addictive dungeon crawler that sold millions of copies. They proceeded to order as many of those kits as they possibly could and acted as a go-between for developers who wanted to get their games on the console early, uh, reshipping their extra kits to their partners, said a former Nycalis employee. So what they're talking about here, uh, late in 2016, when Nintendo started recruiting third-party developers for the forthcoming launch of the Switch, Nycalis was one of the first companies to get Switch development kits. And then that's where they would uh, order extra and then give them to their partners. So it was almost a way to get your game on the Switch faster was to go with Nycalis. Arguably a very intelligent business move. Actually, I don't think there's anything scary about that. That's that's pretty smart. But it also show uh, shows that there was a power imbalance there where if you wanted to play ball, you had to go through them. Um, so then they go on to say. Uh, let's see what uh, what kind of with that kind of access and track record with successful ports, Nycalis became an appealing publisher for independent developers who had made games but couldn't get companies like Sony and Nintendo to pick up the phone. Problem was, some of those developers told Kotaku they couldn't get Nycalis to pick up the phone either. Even after signing deals that gave Rodriguez's company control over the release of their games, let's see, uh, over the release of their games, one developer who published their game with Nycalis described in a detailed memo shared with Kotaku periods of months in which the company wouldn't respond to their messages, leaving the fate of their game in question multiple times. The developer would not put their name on the record out of fear of reprisal, but a former Nycalis employee confirmed details on their account. Uh, then they go on to say, people who worked full-time for Nycalis say the flakiness is just one of the problems they faced here. In interviews with Kotaku, seven former employees painted a picture of Rodriguez as a boss who wielded his power over staff in exploitive ways. The level of control he has over his employees is definitely a problem, said one former staffer. It was anything I tell you to do, you have to do this because I'm the boss, end quote. Um, okay, I'm just going to stop for a second. I mean, I hate to say it, but he is the boss, you know, and, and as a boss myself, like, I do expect my employees to do what I say. Now, a good boss will listen to his employees and will know uh, how to streamline the uh, the chain of command and to make sure that this is a successful process. Now, I don't have 20 employees, but I have seven. And so I understand what it's like to do workflow, to get work done, to maintain a business. We've been successful for eight and a half years. So I don't like the complaint that someone's saying, well, he's the boss. You have to do what he says. Well, yeah, duh. Right. And if you don't like that, you can leave. And I don't and I don't like to say that that abuse is OK. I'm just saying if you don't like that, you can leave. But that's not a good boss. But that is technically the role of a boss. I'm sorry. That just seems like a silly thing to say. 
the article goes on to say sometimes that meant employees wasting days or weeks off work because Rodriguez wouldn't respond to their questions. <laughs> Other times it meant more personal grievances. For example, two former employees said they were they'd be rebuked for taking dinner breaks during crunch hours or taking time off to go to the doctor or take care of sick relatives. One former staffer who stuck with the company for several years said that for them and many of their colleagues, Nikalis was their first job in the video game industry. The lack of experience combined with the chance to work on games like Binding of Isaac and Cave Story led people to, <laughs> led people to stuck around even when they felt exploited, that person said. I was just uh, gritting my teeth the whole time. They said, I feel that something he really takes advantage of in general is the fact that he knows people are passionate or would be excited to work on these things. If he does something crappy to somebody, they'll probably be like, oh, well, at least I'm working on this cool thing. End quote. Yes, that is a real thing. And I actually see that a lot in my industry, too. Um, I know. Uh, think about this, right? Um, if you went to your local video game store or your local comic book store and they said, hey, I need someone to help me alphabetize and do all this work. Do you want to come work for a day? I'll give you store credit towards something. I'll give you like 40 bucks in store credit to buy a game. And you're like, oh, yeah, sure. This is fun for me. This isn't work. And you get 40 bucks just to like go through some games. That'd be awesome. But that's essentially exploitive because you're taking advantage of the fact that they're really excited to maybe work in the industry. But, you know, in that I know a lot of comic book stores that pay people in like store credit. And they don't even pay them like the same wage they would get minimum wage in cash. They just pay them a store credit, which if you think about that, that's an extra special deal for the store owner because the store owner doesn't pay a full price that they sell these things at. So if they sell it to you with your store credit at full price, they're actually getting you at a discounted rate. And so this is that is a real thing is that the, they're exploiting the passion. And that definitely happens a lot in the video game industry, especially the QA testing categories, right? Because in QA, you've got all these people that in QA, you've got all these people that just want to work in games, but they may not have the technical abilities to work in development, right? A lot of people start in QA thinking it's a bridge to working on video games and having their great idea turn into a video game. And that's just not typically how it works, unfortunately. Usually how it works is you have to be some sort of creative type. You have to be some sort of artist, and then you work your way up, or you submit something, or you do something on your own, and then it gets picked up. But a, a lot of these places, a lot of these people think I'm, I'm working in the video game industry. It's the same at GameStop when I was a manager there. Hundreds of applicants every single year would just want to work there because it was video games. I'm like, I could tell you this job isn't that great for a part-timer. You work about six hours a week, you get paid minimum wage, and I'm going to have you work three-hour shifts. You can drive all the way across town to make no money and then drive home. And they're like, okay. <laughs> like, okay, well, okay, okay. <laughs> That's what you want to do. Uh, so then this next part, uh, it gets a little different, right? So this shifts to the staff, uh, and this is, I, I'll get through it and then we'll talk about it. Uh, the article continues on business trips to Japan and other events like E3 and PAX, former Nikalis employees say that Rodriguez would push them into uncomfortable situations, giving them specific orders on how to act and behave. Two former employees told stories of Rodriguez ordering staff not to cross their legs or put their elbows on the table at dinner. One said that Rodriguez would monitor employees' Twitter accounts and tell them not to interact with certain people. Okay, so I'm going to stop there for a second. Uh, I am put off a little bit by the ordering staff not to cross their legs, but also saying something like, don't put your elbows on the table. That, to me, as silly as it sounds, that can be a manners thing. And depending on who your clients can be, that can seem disrespectful especially different cultures, i.e. Japan. So I can understand why a boss might be thinking ahead saying, look, we have to be on our best behavior, your best manners. And it might have been to somebody who, you know, a lot of people aren't aware of all of their uh, lack of manners, right? <laughs> so it's possible this was somebody who was really crude and maybe that, you know, that was a way of putting them in check. The not crossing the legs thing, that I don't necessarily understand. Again, that could be like a Japanese thing, but that's also kind of weird. Um, and then you're also getting into, um, you know, you're getting into a little dangerous territory with like limiting um, people's behavior, you know. But again, like elbows on the table, that doesn't bother me. That actually seems like a normal thing. The not crossing legs thing seems a little more out of, out of the norm. Uh, getting back to the story. Six former employees who spoke to Kotaku said he'd pressured them into drinking heavily, ordering shots of gin or vodka, and belittling anyone who refused to participate. 
quote, he'd order the highest alcohol content shots, push us to drink them, and we'd be hesitant, said one. He'd be like, come on, don't be a little bitch, end quote. <laughs> uh, okay, so... And then the end of that was several said that they'd noticed that Rodriguez would hand out shots and drinks, but not have much himself. And two former Nicalis employees said they'd seen him get developers drunk before talking about business deals with them. Okay. So this is a little less scummy than it might sound like, in my opinion. So first I would say he sounds like a real douche bro. <laughs> where he's like dude take these shots oh you don't want these shots no you little bitch like that's what it sounds like right which also goes along with the skype logs you're seeing right like the the word the phrase and usage uh usage of words uh it seems to align with that right so the guy just seems kind of like a d-bag you know here he is by the way <laughs> not that it what he looks like matters but here he is he's really straining hard to smile for this picture uh and so uh, however, that, that could have been one of those things. If they're out to dinner and having drinks, that could have been one of those things where he's trying to get them to loosen up. Sometimes people who work in this industry are very, very tightly wound. Maybe he, and maybe in his head, he thought, you know what? I got to get them to loosen up. They're going to stress out too much. But again, some people just aren't aware of their, uh, of their obnoxiousness. In fact, most people that are obnoxious, I would argue are not aware of their obnoxiousness or they might stop. <laughs> they typically don't. Uh, so, you know, that just sounds like a douche bro thing to do. You know, like that, come on, man, come on, drink more, yeah, drink. Now, the little bit about how they they say, um, several said they noticed that Rodriguez would hand out shots and drinks, but not have much himself. Uh, y yeah, I mean, maybe, but now they, they made, they try to make it sound like he was getting them drunk to manipulate them. I I don't believe that. I'm sorry. I just, it just sounds like he's more of a douchebag than anything. Um, and about the, the other uh, former employees saying they seen him get developers drunk before talking business deals with them. Again, I know it's an old school way of doing business, but that is kind of it. Like you kind of grease the wheels a little bit. You kind of, it's a social lubricant, right? That's what they call alcohol. So you sometimes having that will, it loosens you up to be able to have a better deal. He might be doing it for himself. Maybe he has social anxiety. I don't know. But with the developers, you could argue maybe he's trying to get them drunk so he could take advantage of them. Uh, I mean, there has to be a little bit of personal responsibility, though, on the other end. If you're making a business deal with somebody, then you don't have a bunch of drinks, get drunk, and make a bad deal. You know? And I'm not victim-blaming here. I'm just saying that it's not like, you know, he's tying them up or saying, if you don't drink this, I'm not going to give you a deal. You know, that's not really... It's, it's different to the tango and such, but it is also a sleazy way. Why? Why? And again, to me, it seems unprofessional. Why can't you get them in a professional setting? You can have a drink in a professional setting, right? And you can have a business meeting at a bar, but like to get to the point where you're doing shots and getting a little wild. I mean, that's definitely just unprofessional, which, you know, I always jokingly said that to all my employees, like mature is not a word I'd often use to describe myself, but professional I am. And so I know when to be professional. I know when to have fun. Um, going on, the story continues during one dinner in Japan, according to two people who were there, Rodriguez said he would pay for an employee's airplane tickets to another country. If they drank a disgusting concoction that he'd created at the table, made up of raw eggs, beer, soy sauce, and other assorted food items that Rodriguez had found. <laughs> That's just stupid. Uh, given that Rodriguez owned the company was responsible for all of their paychecks. Nicalis employees said they felt pressured and uncomfortable during occasions like this. That, that is fair. That is fair. If your boss is telling you to do something, even if it's not while you're working and you fear repercussions at work, that can be a thing that's manipulative. I'm not going to say it's not. Um, but you know, um, it's not very professional in another company. That'd be a big HR thing, said one former employee, but there is no HR at Nicalis. So that went unaccounted for. We were expected to self-report, but you can't really do that when he's the one violating HR stuff. Uh, that's, and that's fair. If there's no one to talk to about it and he's the one you're supposed to talk to, but he's the problem, how do, who do you talk to? Um, yeah, that's not good. Um, and then we had the Skype logs already, but then it goes on to talk about the Skype logs here. Um, Kotaku claims to have reviewed dozens of Skype transcripts full of jokes and messages just like these that we read earlier. One former Nikaos employee who was overweight and suffered from health issues said that Rodriguez would make comments on his weight and often told him to go for walks. This employee requested uh, 
anonymity, anonymity, excuse me, <clears throat> but was willing to publicize, that word always gives me trouble, I'm not even going to try to hide it, um, asked to be anonymous, but was willing to publicize these specific details, even knowing they might make him identifiable to Nikalis because he felt it was important. During a business trip to Japan, the former Nikalis employee said he'd been walking around so much that his inner thighs began bleeding and he wanted to rest in his hotel. When Tyrone Rodriguez and his brother, Nikalis CEO Victor Rodriguez, we got another one here, asked him to go on a trip to a nearby landmark, the former employee said he refused. Tyrone started saying things like, who do you think paid for your trip? He said, he was essentially trying to coerce me into going. I said, no, I'm not going. Soon afterwards, he said Rodriguez fired him. When we got back from Japan, I felt like that might have been why they got rid of me because I stood up for myself. Okay, so a couple things about that. Uh, as, as a former super fat person and now just kind of fat person, um, thigh shavings are real and it sucks real bad um, when it's muggy. Um, and you don't have powder or anything, uh, the inside of your thighs, okay, they're going to rub together. And, uh, and it, a lot of runners run into this too, but us fat people weren't running. We just have it cause we're fat, but, um, they rub against each other and that gets very sore. I've never had it to the point where it was bleeding, but I had it to the point where I almost had to walk like, like with my legs kind of out because they were rubbing against each other and it burned every time you took a step, it burned, you know, it was, it, it's a, it's a big deal. A lot of walking in Japan. Uh, when I was there, we did a lot of walking. So if that had happened to me, I would have had to take a break. I, I feel for this person's issue. Um, and then if he got fired because he stood up for himself, that's even worse. Um, now again, we don't know the whole story. We only know this one side, but, and we don't know if maybe this Japan trip was their last chance to try to get him to be part of a cohesive group. And then they felt like he wasn't part of the group and yada, yada. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Um, because this is the type of guy based on all of his previous behavior, you think just sounds like a douchebag who would do this. So it's not like, it's not like he did anything, you know, it's, it's not like he's in the past proven to not be a douchebag. Like everything he does leads up to what he would do here. I mean, that's like not surprising at all. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, there's, there's more too. I mean, it just keeps going. Uh, there's this last story I want to talk about. So, uh, mismanagement at Nikalis has also cost external developers like the people behind enter the gungeon a lot of time. A second independent developer, The Game Bakers, shared another ghosting story with Kotaku. In 2017, they wanted to port their boss-battling gauntlet game, Fury, to Switch, and started talking to Nikalis about putting together a port as quickly as possible. It was important to strike early. They knew that within the next year or two, the Switch eShop would be oversaturated with indie games, and that getting noticed would be tough. Very fair point. Switch started taking off like, like wildfire, so you had to get your game on there quick. It was going to blow up. Uh, they go on to say, quote, we sent the project, they evaluated the cost, sent the first contract draft that we sent back with changes, said the game bakers. But then they started ghosting us, not answering emails, Skype calls. We waited three weeks, tried to contact them several times. Finally, they answered that they were sorry and would send us mail within the next week. Time passed, we were going to E3, and they were there, offered to see them there. We reminded them how acting fast was important. So eventually we sent a message saying the deal was off considering the communication breakdown. That's <laughs> just terrible business. Um, La Prince added that they didn't lose any money, only a few months of potential sales. It's annoying, but not a major deal. And that they did eventually release the game on Switch in January 2018 without Nikalis. We thought we must have a good reason. They we thought they must have good reasons on their side. It's not always easy. But considering the problems we heard from other developers, we're starting to think that we are not the only unlucky ones. On Twitter, in July of this year, the company's co-founder, Emrick Toa, posted vague words of caution about Nikalis. If you're a small Indian considering working with Nikalis and want an opinion about them, please don't hesitate to DM me, he wrote. It's a small industry. Actions have consequences. And what's funny is uh, on Twitter when the story broke, uh, Josh Fairhurst of Limited Run want, had basically his tweet was, there's so many things I want to say, but I'm not going to. Uh, and I'm obviously about Nikalis, so knew some also some internal things. Probably worked with them or had meetings with them or had, had heard similar things. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of, kind of wild, you know? Uh, and then of course we have an update, uh, four days ago, Rodriguez posted a statement on Twitter addressing the slurs. And here we go. Tyrone Rodriguez on Twitter quote, I wrote some terribly insensitive, stupid remarks in DMS that don't represent who I am just because they were done in a private situation while trying to be funny and edgy doesn't make them any less terrible. They're indefensible and unacceptable. As someone who has experienced racism and discrimination in my life, I should know better and must be a better person. I can't throw around words for shock value or because I think they'll get a laugh. 
I also want to clarify that my insensitivity and vulgarity shouldn't reflect on the people I work with. They're very good people and shouldn't be held responsible for my own actions. If I've hurt you and I wasn't aware until today that I might have, I hope you can forgive me someday. End quote. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of corporate speak, but I believe, I mean, what he's saying is accurate. You know, he's saying that he was doing it for shock value and to get a laugh. I mean, I agree. And, and they're not funny. Um, and they're not even really that shocking. They're just stupid. Uh, but clearly this was, you know, he didn't try to deny it, <laughs> which is nice. You know, he didn't try to hide the fact or anything. It's all right there. So, um, and then the first comment, former employee here, and although I was not interviewed for this article, I can say there are countless more horrible stories that can be added. This is just a peek into it. I feel relieved that the industry is finally shedding light on his behavior. I feel bad for other employees who've been working for him for so many years in these conditions. It was a very unhealthy work environment. Oh, man, that's tough. Um, but yeah, so just think twice. You know, obviously, Nikalis, I, I used to look at that name and think, uh, oh, this is cool. This is a really neat sort of uh, indie publishing company. I like it. And I like small businesses. And I like the idea that a 20-person crew is trying to make it against... Activision and Blizzard or Activision Blizzard EA, you know, Ubisoft to try to get past all these. But man, with somebody like that at the top, man, I, I would rather that they just uh all the great employees left and just formed their own company and, and and did it the right way. Man, that story went a little bit longer than I thought it would. But there was a lot there. There was a lot to unpack. Um I don't know. I don't know how you say things like that. And like like I don't that's not funny. I don't know. It's kind of like the recent, uh, this, they hired Saturday Night Live hired, hired that guy and he's uh, Shane Gillis or something like that. I think his name is, and they've already fired him because this podcast from a year ago came out where he referred to Chinese people as like the C word, the CH word. And you're like, and he didn't even, it wasn't even funny. It was just ranting about bad Chinese food and how bad the food is. And like, it was weird. It wasn't a joke. You know, it's different when it's a joke. And I think it's okay for jokes to be edgy and for jokes to take the edge off of certain topics. But that's not a joke when you're just making fun of a race. That's not a joke. It's not funny. <clears throat> and so like that there, like that, those weren't jokes that he told. Those weren't him trying to make people laugh. That was just awfulness. So you know, it is what it is, but, uh, it's trash. And, uh, and that company's pretty trash. All right. So here is the big story of the day. Everybody we're back with Billy Mitchell threatening another lawsuit. This time twin galaxies and Guinness of Guinness world records fame. So I haven't done a Billy Mitchell video in a while because I quite frankly don't want to milk it. And I also get kind of sick of talking about him. However, this is a pretty big development. Uh, this is a big deal. There's a lot to unpack here, so so stay with me for the whole ride. But uh, the article, this was uh, Polygon's take on it. I had seen this article. Uh, Apollo Legend also did a video on it. It's great. Like, check it out. He does a good job of, of breaking stuff down. He's been there every step of the way with this Billy thing. Even as far as dressing up like Billy Mitchell and going to him <laughs> and asking him about things. Uh so that video came out, and then obviously uh, this is the Polygon article just because it kind of wraps it all together. Uh, but we're going to kind of read through this. So here we go. Uh, this is Owen Good, September 14th, uh, Polygon.com. Billy Mitchell threatens legal action over vacated Donkey Kong scores. Billy Mitchell, the former Donkey Kong and Pac-Man high score champion made famous in the 2000 film King of Kong, has threatened legal action against the sanctioning bodies who threw out all of his high scores in April 2018 after finding that two were illegitimate. This week, lawyers for Mitchell sent a letter to Twin Galaxies and Guinness World Records demanding that both, quote, retract their claims against Billy Mitchell, end quote, and restore the scores to their world record leaderboards, where Mitchell had been a fixture since the early 1980s. Attorneys made the same demand of Guinness World Records, which uses Twin Galaxies as its source for the video game high score records it recognizes. So, uh, here it is. Hey, everybody, look at this. We got the retraction letter. This is boring legal crap. But let's take a look. And it's fun to know the actual source, not just to read the articles. So, um, <clears throat> dear, uh, dear sirs and madam, the following sets forth Billy Mitchell's official demand for retraction of Guinness World Records and Twin Galaxies for their defamatory statements made against him. On April 12, 2018, Twin Galaxies issued defamatory statements against Billy Mitchell's video game records and legacy, claiming he cheated to achieve his Donkey Kong scores. Specifically, Twin Galaxies stated that he did not achieve his scores on original unmodified hardware. 
Twin Galaxies then stripped Mr. Mitchell of all of his records and achievements. Twin Galaxies followed its statement with articles such as five impressive and legitimate feats involving video games. This article, which heavily stressed that the records discussed were legitimate achievements, started by reallocating Mitchell's most famous achievement. Quote, the perfect Pac-Man, implying that Mitchell cheated to achieve it. Moreover, the Twin Galaxies never clarified that Mitchell did not cheat to achieve this record. Um, and that is a thing. So if you look here, th th this is fair, and, and Apollo Legend talked about it. But basically, in an article of the Guinness magazine, it says the records that never were. And they talk about that Billy never achieved his Pac-Man perfect score. And that is actually inaccurate. That was done on legitimate hardware that is verified, proven. They mistook that with the Donkey Kong MAME controversy. So this is just bad, bad article that was incorrect. So that makes sense. Like he might have a little bit of a case there because it's just incorrect information. Now they could just print a retraction or print a correction to that. Um, um, but anyway, so it goes on to say the following day, April 13th, Guinness World Records followed suit stating that stating to Variety, quote, the Guinness World Records titles relating to Mr. Mitchell's highest scores on Donkey Kong have all been disqualified due to Twin Galaxies being our source of verification for these achievements. We also recognize records for first perfect score on Pac-Man and highest score on Pac-Man. Twin Galaxies was the original source of verification for these record titles, and in line with their decision to remove all of Mr. Mitchell's records from their system, we have disqualified Mr. Mitchell as the holder of these two records. Guinness World Records will look to update and find the appropriate holder of these records in the next few days. So basically, the, the letter is trying to say that Guinness took them out because Twin Galaxies said to take them out. Because all Guinness World Records does, as sad as it is to say, they just look to Twin Galaxies to give them the records it's kind of sad actually like they just look out at twin galaxies they don't actually verify these arcade records themselves um and then they go on to say what i was talking about earlier where it was about the perfect pac-man score um in addition walter day founder and owner of twin galaxies from 81 to 2014 stands behind billy mitchell mr day not the current administration is the original <laughs> education source of billy mitchell's records in line with guinness world records words to variety the linked evidence package that accompanies this letter and Day's testimony warrants restoration of Billy Mitchell's achievements and legacy. Day's own letter is included with this demand for retraction, which includes his sworn testimony and advice for Guinness World Records. As to Twin Galaxies, its investigation did not provide Billy Mitchell fair opportunity to prov uh, provide evidence to prove his innocence. Throughout the investigation, Twin Galaxies had a double standard. Specific evidence against Mitchell was accepted, while evidence of equal stature was rejected. Further, Twin Galaxies selected a biased third-party investigator with close ties to Donkey Kong Forum, another group defaming Billy Mitchell. But they kind of skim over the whole, uh, the whole Carlos Pinheiro thing, where he was brought on by Billy Mitchell, and then Billy Mitchell says that that like, like or that uh, Carlos Pinheiro actually says like, hey. No, this is this was not real hardware. Like the guy Billy brought in even did it. We we covered that story, you know. I'm surprised I didn't get one of these stupid letters. <laughs> Take your video down. You're defaming Billy. Poor Billy. Uh this letter demands that both Twin Galaxies and Guinness World Records retract their claims against Billy and immediately restore his achievements and good name. <laughs> Good name. Yeah, okay. Um, this request for retraction is all of Billy Mitchell's records. A partial retraction will not suffice. Both Twin Galaxies and Guinness Records must retract their claims. Um, so the damages done to him will finally begin to reverse. There was a press release against Billy Mitchell, and there must be a, a reciprocal release in his favor. Uh, yeah, this... Uh, okay, so that's the thing. That This is the letter that was sent to them. Now, if you remember we were talking about, they talk about a package, an evidence package. I got that evidence package up here too. Uh, but here's a problem, okay? This evidence package is, uh, where is it here? Um, let me see, can I get to the bottom of this? I don't think so because it's 150 pages. <laughs> it's one, <laughs> look at the cover. <laughs> this is your evidence package, okay? <laughs> Standing here <laughs> with uh, the, the Namco the Pac-Man and all the Japanese Pac-Man Namco girls. It's, it's, this is the evidence. Um, anyway, so I, I highly recommend going to look at, um, and I'll put a link to it because it was really good. Apollo Legends video. He goes through this more than I will um, because 
a lot of this stuff is quite frankly stuff that is just it's it gets so twisted. Um, so I'll put a link there. I'm sure you've seen if you're here, you've probably seen Apollo Legends video already, but go see it if you haven't. Now, this is an interesting one, though, and this is what I do want to cover. On the third page, well, cover and then page, I guess page one of the after the introduction, I don't know. Carlos Pinero's statement, he attests to the following. During the Billy Mitchell dispute, I walked into Robert Child's showroom and offered to provide any knowledge I possessed about the controversy. During this, I did not receive any type of compensation for my work, as I did it with my spare time. I have been presented with Billy Mitchell's evidence. After seeing this evidence, I retract my conclusions from the dispute case. Billy Mitchell did not cheat. Moreover, I assert that the strength Twin Galaxies evidence did not justify the attempt to strip all of his records and his 35-year legacy, and I maintained that position long before this retraction. He signed a retraction on September 8th? <laughs> um, but here's the thing. Uh, Apollo Legend, ha he had to, or uh, Carlos Pinero had to come out with a statement saying that he signed this knowing it wasn't right. <laughs> so... The number one piece of evidence. Now, Carlos, you're going to get yourself in trouble, man. You don't sign official documents that you don't believe in to be true. They get entered into a court of law. Now, he states that he felt he was told it would keep him out of the lawsuit if he signed this piece of paper. That kind of sounds like witness tampering to me a little bit. So he signed it to try to stay out of the mess. Well, Carlos... You failed, buddy. You're still in the mess. And unfortunately, now we've got an even bigger controversy because you had the statement saying it was fake. Now you have a statement saying it's retracted. And now you have a video saying your retractment wasn't true. So you're you're a not very reliable witness at this point, I'm sorry to say. But that's kind of a big deal, right? What what's so Billy like they're having Billy Billy's lawyers have this guy sign this when it's not even true. Or at least giving giving him the impression that he might get uh, lawsuit against him if he doesn't sign it. Uh, then he goes on to say some things like this. Uh, the the King of Kong was not an official submission, so it doesn't matter if that was played on real hardware, but it's weird because if it was played on real hardware, just prove it. Um, then they talk about uh, the tapes being faked, uh, the VHS tapes. I mean, it's just weird. There's so much stuff here. Um they talk about the dispute thread where people were talking trash about Billy after it was found out that he was guilty of cheating. So then he's using that as a way to say that his reputation was damaged. Um, uh, before proceeding, I'd like to summarize the points presented regarding the historical facts around that score. Jace Hall and Twin Galaxies leaned on the King of Kong movie as a historically accurate information while also conceding it to be a docudrama and not even really a documentary. Billy Mitchell only submits scores with live proper adjudication. He has never submitted a score via videotape. All videotapes were made strictly for archival purposes. The King of Kong movie totally falsifies the narrative that Mitchell submitted the performance. This is proven in three ways, yada yada. Um, Robert Merchek, the only person that contends a score was submitted, has conflicting testimony and doesn't tell a straight story. His story about Mitchell shipping him the tape is falsified and we're willing to subpoena shipping records to say he is not. <laughs> My goodness. Um, yeah, then there's that. Uh, I don't know. There's a whole lot here. There's screenshots of text messages with Jace Hall. Um, there, you know, what's weird about this is it, they're just, and, and Apollo legend hits it uh, on the head. You know, I'll let him kind of say it better in his video, but this is all like, there's no evidence to prove he didn't cheat. He's just trying to disprove the people that brought the evidence against you. And I know that, you know, innocent until proven guilty is like a, uh, a court sort of mentality. This is a little different. You know, this is, this is essentially the court of public opinion. And so it would I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying like it would do him more justice to actually, to actually, um, you know, get some evidence in his favor, not just try to disprove the people, you know? Um, and here they talk about the tapes and the copies of the tapes and, and it's just weird. And they start talking about how, well, then there's digital copies of the tapes. They could have been, uh, they could have been altered and, and you're like, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. And this, okay, this is, I'm on page 25 of 156 like just more and more and more it never stops going this one's upside down what the hell is the world coming to uh this is richie knuckles remember him he's <laughs> youtube uploads i mean this is one of the weirdest evidentiary documents i've ever seen 
And I'm sorry to say, like, no lawyer or judge is going to understand any of this. So this is going to go anywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at all this stuff and it's just basically it's 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 a collection of it's a massive collection of evidence that. Uh, massive collection of evidence that claims that, you know, shows that that the, the proof they used to remove his scores was inaccurate. But it's none of it saying that it's inaccurate because here are my here's my proof. It's just here's here's things to prove that the people who made evidence in the first place are wrong. And so I don't know. I don't know really where to sit on this one. There's going to be a lot more of this to talk about in the future, uh, I guess. <laughs> and uh, but hey, Billy Mitchell, not a uh, he's not new to suing people. This is actually one of the weapons in his arsenal. He uses it quite often. He threatened to sue Apollo Legend. That was revealed in Apollo Legend's video. Uh, and then he, of course, did uh, sue the regular show for their depiction of him as satire. Uh, he lost that case. And, uh, of course, now he'll most likely lose this one. I mean, those companies are private entities. So uh, if they don't remove this score or if they don't re-add the scores, though, Billy is claiming that he will uh, he will sue them for defamation and for loss of revenue. Um, now, lost revenue is really difficult to prove, unfortunately, because you have to prove legitimately that you would have lost revenue. Like, say, for instance, you have proof that says, oh, I was about to buy Billy Mitchell's hot sauce and I found out he was a dirty cheater. And so now I don't want his hot sauce. So that's three bucks you get back. <laughs> from Twin Galaxies, um, and I should maybe, and maybe I'll get a letter someday, and he'll be like, "Hey, you know that video you did that caused a lot of people to hate me." Even though those videos caused a lot of people to hate me too, Billy. So <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> we're kind of both in the same boat. Um, plus, I made it on the East Side Dave show, so it was great. Um, however, however, I do still believe the original evidence placed. And I think that this is all just the pony show, dog and pony show. Um, and I think it's Billy's way to get back in the news again, which is kind of unfortunate because I'll be honest, he's been doing some good stuff in the score keeping field. Like the dude's banging out some like really decent Donkey Kong scores on legit hardware. Him and his son were playing some, like doing some stuff at the con off. Like there's some, there's some cool stuff going on here that he should almost just move on from this. And I'm not saying he has to admit to it, but just move on from it. Right. Just say, I'm done. I'm done trying to defend myself against this. I didn't do it, but I'm done trying to prove it. I'll prove it with my, you know, I'll prove it with my skills and go back to it. You know, it's just from a PR perspective. I just don't, I just don't get it. He's just, I don't know. He's in charge of his own PR, I guess. And well, it shows. Whew. Billy Mitchell back in my friggin' podcast feed. God, I can't get away from that son of a gun. <laughs> um, all right. So, um, now we have a couple things. One, we have our listener question. We have our pickup pile of the week, and we have our game of the week. So let's uh, let's hit it. Alrighty, game of the week. The game of the week this week. We're shifting focus a little bit. We're going to start hitting pretty hard on the podcast going forward. PS1 games. Now, I have an almost unbelievable collection of PS1 games. I would rival this PS1 collection against anyone's PS1 collection as far as quality and, uh, and quantity even. Uh, I'm very proud of PS1. I have incredibly fond memories of the PlayStation 1. It was the first console I bought with my own money. My older brother had moved out of the house. I was the oldest sibling in the house. It was my game system, and I played it whenever I damn well felt like it. And I didn't let my little brother play, which sucked and made me feel bad. Although we did play some games together, Siphon Filter 2 multiplayer, SmackDown, played against each other, and we got really mad and had shouting matches, and I got really mad at him when he beat me. And I probably treated him pretty terribly, and I feel bad about it still 25 years later. However, the PS1... Um, I, I argue that the PS1 was one of the last great shifts in gaming. Um, the PS2 and PS3 and PS4 ultimately are the PS1 just in a new age. Uh, the PS2 has a DVD player. The PS1 had a CD player. PS3 was a Blu-ray player. PS1 was a CD player. PS4 is a Blu-ray player. It's, so it's a media device or a video game machine that has light media device elements to it. And so the PS1 is just... Mm, See, magnifique 
it is just a, it is a, is a banger of a system. <laughs> I hope you all know I use that term like ironically. It's I, I think it's really stupid. Um, so the PS1 system is incredible. I have a great fondness for it. Um, now, I'm also a fan of Japanese RPGs would probably be part of the reason I love this system so much because it would be very hard to find a better system or another system in the world that had better RPGs than the PS1. Arguably, the Super Nintendo and PS2 also had incredible RPGs. But the PS1 was still holding on to the old era, uh, not to mention bringing in new games from Squaresoft, uh, incredible games like Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9, um, Xenogears. I mean, man, it was just... it. it the PS1 ushered in, uh, it was still maintaining, I should say, it was maintaining the old RPGs of the Super Nintendo era. They weren't changing anything. They were keeping what made them great and then were bringing in, like, some freshness to it all, adding the 3D graphics and such. But the PS1, so back to my original point, the PS1 is arguably, to me, the PS1 is arguably the last fundamental shift in gaming. So now we're going to talk about one of my favorite uh, RPGs on the PS1. And we're not just got PS1 on games. We're going to go alphabetically. The only one I, I skipped over was Alone in the Dark. So the game I'm talking about today, though, Game of the Week, finally, after babbling on for five minutes about the PlayStation 1, Game of the Week, Alundra for the PS1. Now, Alundra is an incredible action RPG. It is the height of 32-bit pixel graphics, so it wasn't 3D. had anime cutscenes. Like, this game had everything. It's as close as you were going to get to Legend of Zelda on the PlayStation. And in my opinion, it's just as good as Legend of Zelda Link, uh, like, um, Link to the Past. It is just... Like, it has that level of epicness to it. It really does. Um, it's a working designs game, so it's got this really awesome packaging. I know you can't see it on the podcast. Awesome packaging. Published by Working Designs, which if you don't know who they are, they were a company that came out essentially during the... They, they really grew during the PS1 and PS2 era, and they, they brought over games. They were a publishing company that brought over games that probably weren't going to come over here, and they put them in just exquisite packaging. You might remember Lunar 1 and 2, Ark the Lad Collection. These are all working designs games that have these incredible packages. Really, really cool stuff. So Alundra, highly recommended action RPG on the PS1. Check it out. It's the height of 32-bit pixel graphics. It is a beautiful game, and... Uh, and it's fun and it's a it's a puzzle platformer like it's got it all it's got it all i think you'll really really like it if you get a chance to play it <clears throat> all right and then um all right and then we have our pickup pile of the week that was kind of crappy um this is this is mental. That's all I'm gonna say. I don't think I've had one this big and this epic since it's been a, f a few months, I think, since I got all those crazy RPGs in that collection, the Saturn ones. But this actually is more than that. So this is uh, this is uh, even more so. So we're gonna start with the PS1 games. Picked up a copy of Saga Frontier 2, um, sequel to a great PS1 RPG, uh, Vandal Hearts 1 and 2. Those are tactical RPGs. For the PS1, and they're good. You know, this is they were, they were Konami published. They're just good tactical turn-based RPGs. Rhapsody, which is uh, kind of a weird, quirky tactical RPG. Uh, on the back of the box, you can use magic spells such as the hilarious Pancake Attack. That's right on the box, folks. Um, uh, got a copy of Cartier, another tactics RPG. I'm, I'm on. If you don't know, I'm on a huge RPG kick right now. Ever since I played Dragon Warrior 2, I'm just, oh, I'm just back on it. Like, and and here's an interesting thing about when these games came in. So a lot of people don't know this, but when I opened the store eight years ago, I had to sell my entire collection to open it. Essentially, I had been hoarding, but there were some games that were in my legit collection. And when I was working at GameStop during the PS2 era, I was buying every RPG that came out. My collection was PS1 and PS2 RPGs. And if I didn't play a game, I didn't open it. So I had a bunch of sealed PS2 RPGs and a bunch of PS1 RPGs. Well, when I opened the store, I had to sell it all. Sold it all. Sold all my games except for my Metal Gear stuff. And so... When this collection came in, it was like, my God, it could have been that exact collection I started selling eight years ago. I mean, it was just all the same titles. It was incredible. And so feeling a lot of nostalgia, obviously. But besides that, 
it was just uh, it was just awesome. I mean, like just just a great way to get them back for myself. And so uh, moving on uh, to more of the games, it just it just felt really good, I guess. And and so some of these games, you're like, Greg, you were just bragging about how awesome your PS1 collection is, but you didn't have these ten must-have RPGs. I'm like, yeah, I didn't. <laughs> and now I do. <laughs> so suck it. Um, so the next game, uh, Hoshigami, good PS1 RPG. Dragon Valor, not as good. Kind of a weird one. Um, but it's not bad. So that's, it's an RPG, so we put it in there. Uh, and then lastly for PS1, I had a jewel case version of the original Kingsfield. So I have the tall box PS1 version, but I like to get jewel case variants, especially the harder to find jewel case ones. Like a lot of games that came out early in the PlayStation's life, they only came out on long box. And then if it was, if it had a small run after they switched to jewel cases, they would do like one print of jewel cases. So sometimes you'll find a game that's only available on long box and sometimes you'll find it that's available in long box 95 percent of copies are long box and the other five percent were the little jewel cases and so i actually got kingsfield i got the jewel case version of that which was really sweet because i was i was just looking that up on ebay the other day looking to see if uh how much to get it for uh, moving on to ps2 not as many in this stack and a lot, these actually start to lack in quality a smidge more um but we have stella deus um we have soul nomad and the World Eaters, uh, Shining Force EXA, which is not really good, but it's an RPG, so whatever. Uh, Wild Arms 5. I can't believe I didn't have this in my collection. Um, and then lastly, Growlancer Generations Deluxe. So it's Growlancer Generations, but it came. it's another working designs game, as we were talking about with their awesome collectors. This comes with like a watch, a necklace, a pack of cards, like a whole bunch of cool stuff. Growlancer Generations Deluxe. I had this in my collection for so many years. Until, you know, um, until I had to sell them all. So it was really, really nice to, to, to get those restocked, I guess. So that was, uh, that's it for my pickup pile of the week. And I'm going to bring it up here. So now we're going to finish up with my listener question. And here we go. So this is kind of a fun one, a little bit about games, but mostly about me. Uh, how do you manage your time when it comes to playing video games and managing a business slash working full time? Well, uh, also having a family too. <laughs> uh, well, I think you find time, you make time, right? And and obviously, once you consider that I do YouTube videos and that I do this podcast, this takes up a whole day of my of my week. So one whole day is just used for my my content, podcast, YouTube video stuff. Um. How do you manage it? I don't know. Some some days are better than others. You know, sometimes I'll get two or three hours of video game time in a week, uh, a, a night, and sometimes I'll go three weeks without playing anything. I haven't logged into WoW Classic in two weeks, or at least a week, week and a half probably. And I've been playing Monster Hunter, but Monster Hunter, uh, you know, is is consuming. And so I played Monster Hunter Sunday night, but I haven't. I didn't play anything last night. Didn't play any games yesterday. So usually I play one game at a time as well. That's kind of my trick. Um, I play one game until it's finished, then I move on to something else. And so that's why I think now I find 20 to 30 hour games more enjoyable than the RPGs that take 100 hours plus. Um, and unfortunately, right now I'm backlogged because so much good stuff came out in September. Also, with this Friday, Zelda comes out, uh, Link's Awakening remake, which uh, looks awesome. And I'm going to, I can't wait to play. Of course, I'm not going to play it until I go to Ireland, which is in a couple weeks. Um, which, if you listen to the Dropcast, I won't be on there for a few weeks, actually almost a whole month, just because of uh, I, I couldn't make it work in September. The days to make the schedule work, I had to work Mondays with a part timer, and uh, and unfortunately I can't leave early when I've got a part timer, so I couldn't leave early to do the dropcast. So I'm not really taking part in the dropcast this week, and um, and uh, and then I'm going to go to Ireland for a couple weeks. So <laughs> there's that. So there probably won't be there won't be a there might be a two week period of no game talk radios, but I'll, I'll know for sure when I finalize it all i think yeah there'll be two weeks i think without it but um worst case i can still um you know at least there'll be you'll know it like you'll know when the, when i'm going on a two-week break to go to ireland and then when i come back we'll talk about ireland so it'll be great uh, maybe i'll even have jenny on for that that'd be sweet um have her come on and and uh, we could talk ireland together because i am going video game hunting in, uh, in ireland oh let me tell you dublin and uh belfast oh yeah i'm gonna find your video game stores i'm gonna find some shit i'm gonna find some shit um, all right. So thank you as always though, everybody for listening and watching. If you're listening on SoundCloud, you can listen now on, uh, 
iTunes and on Spotify. Just search for Game Talk Radio. If you want to subscribe to us on YouTube, we'd so much appreciate it. It's youtube.com slash drop rate. Or you can follow us on Twitch, youtube.com, or excuse me, <laughs> twitch.tv slash the drop rate. So on YouTube, we're drop rate. On Twitch, we're the drop rate. So I know it's confusing. It is what it is. You got to deal with it. Um, so anyway, thank you as always, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good day. Bye-bye. <laughs>